hello and welcome to Addiction Makes 3, the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And today we are honored to have the lovely Andy here with us. And I am so excited to have this conversation. Um, Andy and I met, I think, a few years ago in this lovely corner of the internet. So I cannot wait to have this conversation. As always, we are staying kind and we are shining a light on the side of addiction. The lesser spoken about impact on families and spouses. So hello, Andy, and thank you for joining us. Hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor to be here. Um, First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for creating this beautiful space for people who struggling with a loved one's addiction. I just wish you were there for me when I was going through it, but I'm very grateful that you're there for others. So thank you for that. Thank you. That's so kind. And I think we connected through maybe Sober in the Country, maybe a general post out there. So it is truly mind-blowing and magical to me how we can connect with beautiful people um, around the world and I think you know we'll get into it more truly this doesn't discriminate thank you for being here I would love to start with a bit of an introduction to you as much as you would like to share about your life what's been going on how you got to be here chatting with me today well a little bit about the backstory so Diving straight in, um, five years ago, around this time, my husband had his last drink and he had been struggling with his alcohol um, consumption for a couple of years. Prior to that, we we both met over a, a mutual love of food and wine. So we were both working in um, wine businesses when we met. Yeah, for me, it was definitely around the food and wine pairing. I really enjoyed that ritual of of a nice drink. And that was really, you know, the common ground that got us together. So Jason was working in wine. He went on to work for 23 years in the wine industry. But yeah, so after after we met, we, um, you know, jumping forward a little bit, we had two beautiful children. Along with, you know, raising a family and all of the financial pressures that come with, you know, life in general, Jason's drinking increased in direct proportion to the stresses that were going on in his life. I think a lot of it was self-imposed stress, trying to financially um, provide for us when really we were probably very happy with a simple life. (laughs) That was sort of... um, how it all very quickly how how things developed and so in those early days his drinking looked very normal to me when I looked around at others around me I didn't notice anything different previous boyfriends had always been big drinkers and you know I'm sure it's the same everywhere but the Aussie drinking culture is very much a focus here and so it looked very normal from my perspective at that time yeah And that's so important, I think, for people to hear, you know, it is so embedded and ingrained in our society. It is, you know, it just runs through the DNA of everything we do, which I think makes it normal, you know, and to be not drinking can be seen as abnormal. So yeah, it's, 
and that's I think when we get to how is this a problem when it looks the same as everyone else we can be even doubting ourselves well maybe this isn't a problem and I think that's the kind of flip-flop we get to in our own minds. Five years ago Jason had his last drink how long have you been together? It makes me feel really old when I say that. I think we're coming up to 18 years next year. 18 years married, so it's probably about 20 years, which is quite wild, really. It's it's like when you talk about your children. My children now are 16 and 13, and I still feel like they were, you know, in prep yesterday. It goes very fast. 20 years ago, you've met and then five years, he had his last drink. And so really like the majority of your relationship, you know, had alcohol in it. And then being in the wine industry and that love of food and wine, that's been the majority of your time together. Yes, our life certainly revolved around wine. So, you know, as I said, it was obviously our financial circumstances, but it was our um friendship circles it was his work colleagues it was pretty much everything revolved around you know for us it was like having a dinner party okay well which wine will we have with this with this meal and not which wine the five wines that we would have with it with each course <laughs> so it was very much intertwined and I mean the romance of the wine industry is very easy to get sucked into we ended up seeing a very unromantic side of the which um, I think it's something that I really feel strongly about talking about because when I was going through this and when Jason and I were going through this, we didn't see people around us that looked like us. And I think that's, you know, that's one really important thing that I think by sharing, allowing other people to see that they're not alone because I certainly felt like someone who had a drinking problem didn't look like us. So, yeah, that's one of the reasons, even though I find it challenging, even sort of going, preparing for this interview and thinking back over that time, it's brought back a lot of emotions and I can feel them in my body. But the idea of being able to help someone else who is um, in the thick of it at the moment means a lot. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you so much for being here and being so courageous in being here because I know it is hard to talk about. And when I was preparing for our chat today, I had all the feels in my body too when I was thinking about the things I wanted to talk about because this is hard. It's hard to go back to those times and think about that and think about those really tricky and turbulent times in our life. So thank you so much for being here. And being uncomfortable with me because it just means so much to me. I know it means a lot to others that are here as well. And I think you bring up such a pertinent point around what we think addiction looks like Mm. in our minds, who addiction is when we have this persona in our mind. And yeah, it is probably not Jason. It's not you. It's not me and people and their lovely lives, going to work, you know, lovely friends and family. It's not what we think addiction looks like. So I think this is one of the big messages that I am trying to take here is it doesn't discriminate. No, absolutely not. And I think it probably stopped us getting help for a long time. You know, I remember Jason coming to me 
at one stage telling me that, you know, I, he, he said, I think I've got a problem with my drinking. And I remember thinking, what do you mean? Like, no, you don't. You look, your drinking's fine. Like, I just didn't see the problem. And I, I find that really interesting that his intuition knew well before it got to a dangerous level that something wasn't right, but because of society's how it looks. And, you know, I um, encouraged him to go off and see a GP and he did so. And at the time we owned our own wine business and he came back from that appointment telling me that the GP wanted to buy wine off him and <gasps> to think that his drinking was so bad. So I think Jason probably attempted twice to reach out for help through a GP um, in the early days and maybe he wasn't as honest as he should have been or I'm not exactly sure I wasn't there but yeah I think you know that says a lot doesn't it oh my gosh I just got goosebumps when you said that and firstly I got goosebumps when you said that Jason actually came to you yes mm. that is not common isn't it you know, yeah. it's usually others, the partner, the loved ones, you know, will go to the person, hey, this, you know, it's, so that just gave me goosebumps that he had that level of awareness, which is just amazing, mm. that this is a problem for me. How interesting, like your reaction. Mm. I know. I think that's one of the things I'm really proud of with Jason was that, he kept himself accountable oh, yeah. by sharing that. It was mostly with me, but, again, as things developed, he ended up sharing it with his parents too, mm. and that's something I was just so proud of with him because I know when you're struggling with addiction you don't want to tell people in case you fail or um, for whatever reasons, and I just think by sharing with his family it, it allowed him to get the support in place that he really needed. Um, so those were the initial conversations that we had. From there, things, I guess, progressed. Like I said, I didn't think it was a problem at that time, but I remember down the track finding empty bottles stacked into our wine rack. Um, and, again, the red flags weren't really there for me. I look back now and think how ridiculous it was that I didn't pick up on this, but... At the time, I remember thinking, oh, that's a bit odd. Maybe he wants to save the bottles because he likes the labels. Or, that's um, it. But I think that's really important to note because I think in hindsight you think, oh, my gosh, hello, the writing was all over the wall. However, this is what I want for people to give themselves grace and compassion here. The level of awareness we have, the high insight is amazing, but it's not the stick to beat yourself with. Well, gosh, there were signs left, right and centre because a few things, it's not our job to be putting two and two together and getting four every day, of, you know, trying to catch people out and something. But also, we're not looking for it. We're not thinking about it. And like you said, it wasn't really on your radar as a problem. I believe there's some kind of subconscious activity going on here we don't want this to be a thing mm. we don't want to believe it and 
I think, you know, like I, I say his drinking wasn't a problem at this stage, but I, I do remember being irritated by things. You know, I remember going into his, uh, when he, he'd tuck the kids in bed, I'd go in and find him asleep in bed next to them. And, mm. you know, I often felt left out, like had to wake him up and say, go to your bed. Or one particular moment that, that troubled me was when I was quite heavily pregnant with our first daughter. He, he often didn't drink Monday to Thursday, but on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, don't stop him. And I remember this weekend I was very heavily pregnant and I said, could you stay sober this weekend just in case I need to go to hospital because it was about a 40-minute drive. And he was like, no way, like just ask mm. him, up, you know. Like oh, my that. God. So, and again, at the time I thought, oh, well, he works hard and, you know, he deserves to have a drink on the weekends and, but like, yeah, come on. That was just, I, I definitely see that I was um, ignoring those signs. And that got some tears brimming of my own because that reminds me of my own experience of can you stay sober and not drink tonight in case you have to drive me to the hospital? Mm. And that's it. It's not asking much, is it? But it was for him back then. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that you're carrying that and, you know, that worry in your body of please don't drink in case we have to go to the hospital. And more so for you being a bit more, you know, got a 40-minute drive. I was living in the city and staring down the barrel of having to call a taxi to take me to the hospital. I didn't. But the worry was immense. And it's like when people can't show up for you in the way in which you want and need, there is such a grief. I think, you know, he's always been a real rock for me. Mm -hmm. And it was like my rock started to not be stable anymore. And so that not being able to rely on him for things. Um, There was another example of I was in Melbourne at a event with my daughter and I ended up fainting and I I was sick with gastro or something and I had to go to hospital and again you know he couldn't come and get me because he'd been drinking and there was just things like that that just made me start to think well you know I guess it was a Saturday night again he's Mm. been rising at going it's a Saturday night he was at home but yeah that reliability was starting to crumble and um yeah, starting to see the cracks appearing. And it is devastating when your lovely person, you love them and they are beautiful and then they're not showing up as you know they can. Yeah. And and as they want to, right? Yeah. And from there, I guess, um, you know, I you know how the progression goes basically but it got to a point where I I know um Jason I always describe as the energizer bunny he doesn't sit still and it got to a point where he was not getting out of bed in the morning and I remember saying to him you know do you think you're unwell or do you think do you think you could have depression and he just said what have I got to be depressed about I've got you know a beautiful wife two healthy, wonderful children, a roof over my head, toys in the garage, you know, financially stable. What could I possibly have to feel depressed about? And I said, I don't think it works like that Um, and sent him off to the GP again. And um, 
This time, thankfully, we got a new GP that took it seriously and encouraged him to get some support. And um, and that's where the hard work really started because he realised in his attempts to moderate um, that it wasn't possible in his attempts to stop drinking, uh, it wasn't possible. He could have periods of time and then he'd say, okay, I'll, I'll get back on the bandwagon and, and try again. And um, obviously that wouldn't work. And so it developed, continued that way um, until he started to hide the quantities from me and our openness about the discussion started to, you know, change and obviously the shame he was feeling he was hiding from me and not able to open up and share what he was really going through. That really highlights, even with that kind of what I would describe as that radical self-awareness at the start of, I think this is like a problem for me, to then, like that wasn't, okay, now I'm going to set sail and, you know, navigate it smoothly. Even with that radical self-awareness, it was still a bumpy road. Yeah, absolutely. The trial and error and try again and realising and then the shame and then realising moderation wasn't possible and then the secrecy and, you know, all these things, like, so bumpy. Yeah. How did you feel as his wife, as the loved one um, alongside that path? To be honest, I think all I can remember feeling was just confusion and anxiety. <laughs> what am I going to find? The, you know, my husband, who was always a very moral person, who I would never think would lie to me, I was losing trust in myself because when I'd say to him, you know, have you been drinking? He would say no. And I'd be like, well, hang on, have you? Or, And then I sort of doubted my own intuition. We all know we need to trust our own intuition and, um, you know, there were certain things like there was a time when he was on some medication um, through a psychiatrist and I remember saying to him, is the medication making you look like you've had a drink because, you know, you look like you've had a drink and he'd say, oh, maybe, you know, I'll ask next time I go and, yeah, so I think how I felt was just this self-doubt, confusion, um and worry constant worry um for for me with Jason it wasn't so much about him drinking because I mean like I'm sure a lot of people it was never about violence it was never about for me it was never about changing his behavior to something that I was worried about um I was worried about the things that really concerned me were him driving his safety um he also did um, give me a heads up that he was having suicidal thoughts mm. and so I, you know, was very concerned about that and what I might find if I came home and so it's this constant anxiety of how do I manage him. Yeah, I've been worrying about him and then also in yourself having all of this confusion and worry and anxiety 
and yourself. Mm. And holding the family together, I think putting on a smile and a brave face and, you know, I was reflecting this morning after a particularly stressful day I had to pop in and pick up the kids from school and drop them off to their sporting events and I was shaking like a leaf. You know, I'd left Jason in a situation um, and I didn't know what I was going to come home to and I remember dropping them off and everything um, seeming rosy from the outside but, um yeah, there was a lot of stress going on on the inside. You know, that mask we wear in those yeah. early days when it's not okay to talk about it and, you know, we can talk about why we don't want to talk about it, but that everything's okay, the mask of happiness and trying to portray that image of everything is fine. Mm. How did that impact you? Well, I think I was really fortunate in that I am someone who really needs to share how I'm feeling and what I'm going through. So I think I was really fortunate in that I had a really great support group around me. I was able to share with my friends. Um, and because Jason had been quite open with his struggles in the early days, you know, it was I didn't feel like I was going behind his back talking about things. I guess when I talk about holding myself together, that was very much in front of the children. So with friends and um, I was lucky to have Jason's family as a support as well. Yeah, I was able to kind of share things there, but as far as the children were concerned, I needed to make sure home was a safe place for them. And as I said, they didn't ever see anything that was that I would think would distress them. I think if anything, they saw fun dad, dad doing kind of being a fun person and being a bit silly maybe, but um there was nothing that was, you know, a worry. It was more just about me protecting them from that. Yeah, and that's such a heavy role to play when you're navigating your own concerns and all the anxiety and the worry about your lovely person and trying to protect your little people and keep all the lights on at home. That's something I'm really proud of, though, with, with our kids, that we have really shared the journey at an age-appropriate stage with them so back then when things were really a bit icky um obviously I didn't but but now they know you know a lot of the story and they understand about alcohol addiction and what it looks like and I think you know it's really important to them being teenagers now to mm. kind of understand about the relationship of alcohol in our home why we don't have it in our home and I always point out to them things, you know, like on the television, I'm like, what do you think this television show is showing us about alcohol? It's been able to open up some really great discussions and I think they're much wiser than a lot of other kids their age because of what they've been through with, with their dad. Yeah, and that is so amazing. And I love those inquisitive conversations because I think, you know, sometimes we can put our adult lens on a situation and we're thinking that they're thinking something about it, but their beautiful little minds are thinking something completely different. And I think what you're saying earlier around, you know, the glamorizing of the wine industry, it's the same about alcohol on TV. You know, we see all the glamour, pretty drinks and nice outings and all of that, but we never see, you know, the arguments or the fights or the morning after or the days after um, and the mess. Yeah, 
absolutely. I know it's like you think of the images of the spring racing carnival and you see all of the um, pretty dresses and, the you know, the beautiful fancy glassware and then the aftermath of what they clean up at the end of the day and, yeah, not not pretty. Not pretty at all. And our kids are smart, you know, giving them that age-appropriate information and I just love those. And what do you think about that questions? We've got to give them that information in age-appropriate ways but give them the information so they can make try and make good choices for themselves when the opportunity presents itself that is so lovely and your kids are so lucky to have you Jason is so lucky to have you as well thank you I was thinking around our online chats that we had possibly a couple of years ago did you ever feel invisible in this journey when people were focusing on Jason and his yeah struggles and then recovery how have you felt yeah absolutely I think just then when you said thank you to me for being such a good support to Jason it still gives me shivers when people thank me because I think I didn't hear it enough probably really needed to hear it back then a lot and I still really enjoy hearing it now yeah I think all the praise goes to the person struggling when they are getting sober and I'm here going, what about me, <laughs> you know, yeah. which, of course, I would never take away. I was so proud of him as well. But there was the way I liken it is that I, once he got sober or was getting sober, I likened it to having just gone through a hurricane. And I it was like, The hair was everywhere. I was just absolutely blown to smithereens and everyone was praising him and I felt like I was falling apart. Yeah, I was chatting to some girls a while ago about the the pink cloud when you Mm. stopped drinking. I said, well, I didn't get the pink cloud because I was just living in that aftermath. So, yes, I definitely felt invisible. Jason was really good in that way in that he often spoke about that there needs to be more help resources for loved ones. And, you know, in saying that, I still didn't feel from him, I still didn't feel like I was getting enough praise, but, you know, that may be me me being needy. (laughs) Um, Oh, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I think sometimes we just need to, we need to hear thank you. And I think for me, you know, I stopped drinking to support him Mm. as well. And while that may not seem a big deal, it was a big deal. It was also really easy for me in the beginning because alcohol absolutely repulsed me, Mm. what she had done to him. Um, So all the shine of alcohol had disappeared for me. It was probably around the two-year mark that I started to feel a bit like, well, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm not drinking here for you and I haven't heard you really say thank you. But then something magical happened and I realised that I actually had stopped drinking for myself and I became empowered in my own decision to not drink for me and that changed the whole thing. So that was good. Isn't that just so amazing how your thoughts and I speak about this a lot in the coaching program, but how powerful our thoughts are. And when you shift to different, more helpful thoughts, how it completely changes your behavior. So moving from that resentment of you haven't thanked me, but I still would say some thanks are required, you know, and, but then a different mindset in that 
actually what I the choices I made were for me. I think sometimes we don't hear it the way we need to hear it, even though the words are said sometimes. I think, you know, maybe it doesn't go in. I, I know yeah. for me that that's true. So when you post something on your social media, we're like, you're lucky to have Andy. no small thing to love support someone in this because the emotional toll sometimes the physical toll the well-being it takes a hit yeah I think loyalty is one of my strongest values and I think had it not been I don't know whether I'd still be sitting here I know a lot of people in my position probably wouldn't be, but yeah, I really felt that was something that I needed to do for him and for myself. And I'm so glad because, you know, we've come out the other side and, you know, we're a much stronger unit for that. And that is amazing. And I think I too have loyalty as one of my, you know, core values. And I think sometimes it can serve us and sometimes it is working against us doing what is right for us is so important acting in accordance with your core values in a healthy way is amazing and again Jason is so lucky to have you say it again say it again for the people in the back this is really I will not stop saying this because if anyone is listening here that is struggling themselves with some problematic addiction behavior and you have loved ones who are showing up for you, thank them. Yeah. And I don't mean just an off-the-cuff thank you, Mm. you know, thank them in a way in which they would like to be thanked and acknowledge them for doing something that is really hard. Yeah. And like you said before with everyone, and I felt this too, the praise that people get when they are in recovery is amazing and we're not going to ever say well praise them less because it's not like there's less in the bucket you know oh if you praise the Andes and the Amandas there's less praise to give over here there's plenty of praise let's kind of share it around yeah people don't understand no people it's not the lack of willingness or the lack of acknowledgement is people truly have no idea what it is like to walk in our shoes. 100%. So they don't know that we need praise because we're not there saying every single thing that's kind of happened because it's not appropriate. People don't um, understand that praise is also needed here because we have been on our knees, like you said, we've come through the hurricane or maybe we're in the hurricane and we need a bit of a pat on the back or a hug or a wow. Thank you. You know, thanks for being here. Like your podcast episode about where's my lasagna? Mm, yeah. <laughs> like where's my praise? <laughs> where's my praise? Where's my lasagna? And I think it's like the p- people don't know, like you and how beautiful that you had your circle that you could trust and lean into. Yeah. You know, those are the people that are hopefully leaning in with some praise and it's not about we're doing it for the praise, but we need we need something. That's right, yeah. So I don't want to sound like a desperate, needy person. but No, um, and we're not. But it's some acknowledgement that what we're doing is hard. It has taken a toll. Yeah. And we're here and we're doing it. Yeah. 
people do better in recovery when they have people around them, mm. good people around them. Doesn't it? It's amazing how feeling appreciated really lifts, gives you more energy. It's like shifting perspective. It just, it, it yeah. Yeah, and it's anything, right? Anything in life that is a little bit of a challenge, you get people around you. Like I think about this in relation to going to the gym. Like I joined a new gym nearly three years ago, small group fitness, nothing I've ever done before. And it was full on. Like I was used to just going to these big empty gyms and kind of playing on the treadmill and going and playing with some dumbbells over here and then kind of just going home. But the small group fitness was hard. Right. And it was doing things that I've never done before. And if it wasn't for the cheering on and the support and this is how you do it and, oh, so, wow, you've just increased your personal best, whatever it is, Yeah, there's no way I would have achieved the results that I did. So in everything else, we cheer people on. And mm. my little one was doing a big pillow jump the other day from like a height and he was reluctant and he was reluctant and I was there on the ground like cheering him on like you can do it you know so in everything else in life we are cheering people on we are telling them you absolutely can do it what do you need here yeah what do you if you want to do it I can help you or we can find someone to help you what do you need and but in addiction not so much no no it gets a bit murky there doesn't it (laughs) it's a bit murky um And I think because of the tumultuous journey as well, people get bored. Yeah. And they might say it once and then, you know, otherwise they (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't go in all the time. No. And I remember in my experience when it was a bit of a down period and we're back in the tricky phase and I might have said something small that kind of indicated that and their response was, oh, is that still a thing? And I'm like, oh, you've got no idea. That's the hard thing, isn't it? When we're expecting something from someone who is battling themselves, you know, at that period of time for Jason, for me to be expecting him to be thanking me, he was probably just battling through every day himself. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I speak a lot to my lovely clients around meeting people where they're at. Yeah. If someone is in the early stages of recovery, what is reasonable to expect here? And I think, mm. you know, what we we're talking about, if there was more support for the, the family and loved ones, we would have a more realistic expectation of what that looks like as opposed to amazing. they decided this is no longer serving them they're gonna make some changes so good great you know but the reality of that is rocky yeah and sometimes people are just trying to get through the next hour the next day get through the night and so probably their level of capacity to have gratitude and thanks to those around them is limited but further down the track you know definitely possible I would love if you feel comfortable sharing. You don't have to say what the tricky moment was, but if there was a particularly challenging moment during Jason's recovery process. Mm. Because I think we can really focus on a lot in the act of addiction when that is 
challenging and I like to call it tricky. Um, mm. But recovery can be tricky too. And how did you navigate it for your side? I, when you ask that, there's one sort of situation that really sticks out that was quite pivotal, I think. And Jason's mentioned it was really pivotal for him in the way I handled the situation. So um, he had a period of sobriety up. I think he, he was a couple of months sober. And so there was starting to be some hope there. And I think this is important to talk about along the way, I often question my responses to things. So it would be, how would how should I respond to this to get the best result? So if I get angry, will that get the best result? Or if I'm compassionate, will that get the best result? Um, and I think I'd tried and tested a few different things along the way to see, you know, if I get really angry here, will that work? Um, so I'd been reading this book about loving someone who's struggling with addiction, dealing with compassion. And so this particular weekend, we'd organised a trip to Melbourne and we hadn't been away for a very long time and it was the kids and and Jason and I going and my daughter and I were meeting him there and he was going with our son. And unfortunately, by the time we arrived at the hotel, Jason had been drinking and I can't tell you just, you know, I mean, I can tell you, you know the feeling of just, um, okay, so I went into how can I fix this moment Um, because we have a hotel room in the city, I'd promised the kids dinner out tonight, that none of that could happen. So I had to lock ourselves into the hotel room and not leave and we had room service and a movie and we sat there and I wanted to kill my husband. And the next morning I woke up and he was in the bathroom and I just went into him and instead of strangling him like I think I really wanted to, I grabbed him, hugged him and I said, it's a new day, let's move on from that. Yeah, it was freaking hard. I wanted to kill him at the same time I was saying it. I, I felt so angry. He just spoiled something that was so important to me and that we'd really been looking forward to doing. So I punished him by taking him shopping the next day. <laughs> so I dragged him around the shops with the kids. But, yeah. Wow. Heavy. And I think that's really important for people to hear you can have multiple feelings at the one time. Mm. You can be feeling murderous and you can have compassion. Mm. You can have limits of not, obviously this was not okay and I mm. love you, you yeah. know, and 100% I too tried all the different ways. If I yell, how does that go? If I lean in with some huffing and puffing and sighing and passive aggressive and you know we try all the things Mm. and I want to say hats off to you and amazing that's no small feat thank you yeah and he describes that as a pivotal moment Mm. for him again I think when he wasn't drinking he was a very moral person and he knew what he'd done And he knew, I knew how disappointed he would have been in himself. So there was no point in me saying, what did you do, you idiot? 
you know, mm, don't yeah. it was none of that, none, none of that was going to work. So by choosing compassion and by telling him, you know, it's a fresh start today, let's try again, again, mm. that perspective shift. I remember listening in one of your podcasts about how, you know, that was helpful for me, mm. even if it was helpful for him, it was helpful for me to feel that. So truly. And the fear, like, and I think, you know, We've all done it, the yelling, the shouting, the shaming, name-calling, like some of the things that I've said, I'm appalled at myself, you know, some of the ways in which I have behaved, I'm appalled at myself, I'm disgusted because it is out of alignment with who I am. You get just, pushed. We get pushed and we're at our wit's end and the fear is real. Mm, absolutely. And that's when we know we are on the roller coaster and when if we can conduct ourselves in line with our values and lead with compassion it's not condoning but if we can be compassionate and like you said it helps you Mm. you know we feel better when we do the right thing yeah and it is hard and it's not to say it always goes well on one of my recent podcasts, I spoke what about us and the whole rehab situation and they said, respond with compassion. <laughs> and this is what we're talking about here today. And I wrote it down because I'm a note taker and I was mentally thinking, I am up to my eyeballs with this. Life, no one goes to rehab when life is just a bit not okay. You know, we're all on our knees here. It is chaos. It is crisis. And I had no coping mechanism to navigate this stuff. And they were like, if there's a relapse or a reoccurrence or, and I'm like, right. So I wrote it down, respond compassionately. But in my mind, I'm screaming, how do I do that? Because I just, I had nothing left. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, talking about slip ups and, um, and how to, how I dealt with them or how, how to deal with them. But I remember after one particularly bad, it might have been that slip up, I called up a rehab facility and um, Jason did end up going to a rehab facility but um, I don't think he had at that stage. And, you know, I said to them, he's had a slip and she, she basically through the phone shook me and said it's not the end of the world. You know, he needs to have these slip ups to realise what, you know, what the end result needs to be. And that was a really good perspective shift for me as well because I felt like the world was falling apart when he had a slip up. Mm. I mean, for me it was definitely my concern was him and his suicidal thoughts. Mm. It was it was definitely the, him his failure that was what I was mostly worried about. But, yeah, it can be a really important thing for them to have a slip up and learn that it doesn't work that way. That is really important to emphasize because I too was so afraid of the slip ups. Mm. And to me, it felt catastrophic. Yeah. So, like we were talking about before, and your change of perspective with getting sober for you versus getting sober to support Jason, mm. and how that perspective helped shift your behavior. The thought of a relapse or a lapse in my mind was catastrophic. It was just the worst thing ever. So I behaved like the worst thing had just happened, like Mm. Fruit Loop, you know. Mm. And if we can lead with compassion, 
with boundaries. So if there's behavior that is not acceptable or okay, do that. Mm. And this is a hard thing. Yeah. If we, <laughs> and this is where we want to try and lead with that compassion, this is hard. Yeah. If it was easy, they would have done it. Yeah. And if it was easy, you know, it wouldn't even be a thing. It is hard. Changes that we make, it, it's also hard, right? Any changes you're trying to make in life, to have something in your life for decades and then you realize this doesn't serve me, to mm. try and change your path, it is hard. Yeah. So thank you for joining me here at Addiction Makes 3, the podcast. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you found this to be helpful or insightful, I would sincerely appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast as it helps others find it. If you would like to get in touch with me with thoughts, feedback, or queries, you can send me an email. And if you would like to know more about working with me, details can be found in the show notes too. So thanks for staying kind and I will speak to you soon.